0: My name is Augustin Passon, and you are listening to Magnolia Tree's podcast all about ethical leadership. Together with Sabina Gromer, the founder of Magnolia Tree, we leverage our network of inspiring individuals from all walks of life to learn from their experiences about leadership. Our goal is to spark thinking on ethics and leadership one podcast episode at a time. I invite you to join me on my journey of personal growth, and I look forward to learning more about leadership alongside you. So the way we were thinking about approaching it was we were going to play a little game to start us off. And um, I think probably the most useful thing for for the interview would be for for us to go a little bit into your background. And I'd love to hear, too, because I I don't know a lot about your kind of life story and where you came from. And I I, I would be fascinated to learn about that.
1: Right. Well, you know, uh, when you stand up in front of uh, a, a group of high performing executives and, and under the tutelage that you are the teacher of leadership, it's a, it's pretty intimidating. Like yeah. who are you to be talking to me about leadership? And um uh, I uh when I grew up there's nothing called leadership development. There's yeah. nothing called executive development. Uh you know, as a matter of fact uh, I, I looked it up. It was in nineteen in the 1980s that Warren Bennis wrote a book called Leaders with Burton Annis, where he began to make a distinction between leadership and management. And uh, so up till then, it just been management by objectives. And no one had tried to really separate leadership. So my story of getting there is convoluted. I, my <laughs> father was uh, the colonel in the military, and he... He's buried at Arlington. He fought in World War II. He was drafted in World War II right out of college. Uh, drafted and uh, he'd been in RTC, so he went in as a second lieutenant. He drove a tank across Germany. Uh, he tried to get out of the war, or after the war, he tried to retire. And they called him up for Korea. So he once again, he's put back into the military. He's fighting. Uh, he's over fighting in Korea. And then I think he just stayed in. So he also served uh, two tours of Vietnam, mm-hmm. and uh, he's buried in Arlington. And uh, But he also, during his career, taught strategy. So he was a teacher of, of, of strategy. My mother, I'm, I'm, what I'm giving you is my DNA. To some extent, my DNA, I think, maybe, you know, you connect the dots looking backwards in life. But my mother was... Uh, the daughter of an English teacher. She was an English teacher. She taught me junior high English. She went back and got her PhD when she was in her mid-50s after raising seven kids and became wow. a an college professor of English. And she was, I'll call her the, my father, the strategist, and I'll call my mother the poet. She loved poetry. She taught me Shakespeare and so on. And so my, my leadership DNA, I, really looking backwards, is that that's really what leadership is it's, it's part strategy, it's part how do we win, it's part executing that strategy. But at the same time, for my mother, who is also active in the church and we'll call her the poet, uh, it brings the dimension of educator and also the soul. Yeah. So leadership has both dimensions. You have that dimension of strategy, but you also have that dimension of how do we enroll the spirit, how do we enroll the soul. Maybe that's how I... So I was born to two people from the field of leadership development. Right. The colonel and my mother, the poet. So graduating from college, uh, I got lottery number 358. That's why I didn't go to Vietnam. I I was in ROTC, and when they did the lottery and I got that 358, that meant I would not be drafted. And I went in and turned in my uniform and my M1, and that was it because I... I, uh, Although I was the son of a colonel, I had no desire to go fight in that particular war, and uh, I was more drawn to being a teacher. I went back to and taught high school English, just like my mm-hmm. mother. And in the summer, I was working for uh, Outward Bound. Oh, working yeah. with groups in the Outward. Uh, I did Outward Bound. Yeah, I know you did. It's a <laughs> matter out in California, so yeah. You, you, well, you 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 know that the outward bound world, you know, and so uh, I became. I had the opportunity to teach for nine months, and then three three months in the summer, I would lead groups in the mountains, and I became a mountaineer and really active in the world of rock climbing, and that got me interested in mountaineering expeditions. So, doing uh, climbing up went to Peru, and I went to Argentina, and I went to Alaska, and I was climbing, and during those climbs, I became really interested in in leadership in the dynamics of the group and how groups were led, Right. and that got me to go back and get a PhD, so I got my PhD in social psychology, and uh, I'm I'm still nowhere near the world of executive and leadership development. (laughs) We'll (laughs) get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) So uh, I got my Ph.D. and my first job, you take your work where you can get it, was uh, working with the prisons down in New Mexico, Mm -hmm. doing kind of uh, working with uh, youthful offenders and adult offenders and so on and doing pretty much community male health and uh, evaluations for parole and helping people transition back into society. That work that I was doing attracted, believe it or not, uh, People Magazine did this article about me. Mm. And that led to, I mean, all sorts of things. So, I, they had a movie option to write the you know the story of the work that we were doing with communi- in community mental health and work you know, with, with kids at risk and with offenders. And uh, that publicity actually led uh, to me being invited into some think tanks. Right around the field of leadership development. And and it was there I met uh, my good friend Morgan McCall, who is at the Center for Creative Leadership. And I made the transition to go join and work for the Center for Creative Leadership in Colorado Springs. And so was this now working with executives and like and leaders, yeah.
0: Was that kind of, uh, I guess, because you mentioned before then that there wasn't kind of a a field or any idea of like creative leadership. Was that kind of almost, would you call that kind of, that was the forefront? That was when it was first getting started? You know, the
1: the primary approach at the Center for Creative Leadership, which is true to this day, is that all leadership development is self-development. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the core principle of the Center for Creative Leadership is that, they don't necessarily teach you to be a leader, right? They teach you to understand who you are and to understand others and to understand that leadership is fundamentally the connection between you and other people. So it's a heavily psychological model. Right. And you, you know, we would do every kind of assessment from personality styles, you know, cognitive styles, creativity mm-hmm. styles, uh, you would be watched behind uh, one-way mirrors in, in different behavioral simulations. We explored your values. We explored your motives. And it it was all aimed at helping people to better understand who they are and what they want, which are the two, for me, those are the two biggest, toughest, questions
0: in life who are you and what do you want yeah those are not easy questions simple on the surface but not yeah not easy to answer and so did that is that kind of what transitioned you then into more executive leadership after that or
1: yes so at the center for creative leadership all we saw were the cream of the crop you know really uh where it was uh if there was such a thing as an executive finishing school you could call it the executive finish school, you know. And um uh, and again at this time it was kind of the only game now they, you know, consulting companies and leadership development is proliferated all over the world. But we were really early, we were doing research on, you know, uh what separates what seems to separate really bright people who go on to be successful from those who plateau and derail and we um um so it was just a fantastic place to kind of learn my craft but when i what i wanted to say is that's really if i have expertise Mm -hmm. that's the expertise is being around and studying for decades highly successful leaders and uh and then paying careful attention to those that uh, whose behaviors I would emulate and those who I joked were warning signs of what not to do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I learned leadership development by really observing leaders right. firsthand, living with them in intense situations, the leadership development programs a week long, pretty much 24 7 high ambiguity, high stress, and uh, you're you're really just observing. And then at the end of that week, that data and all your observations are kind of synthesized and you really work out in a development plan. So in other words, the program doesn't end when you walk out the door. It's really how do you set in motion this, this uh, commitment and the discipline to become more effective.
0: And I know, because in my own experience, I, I've kind of found that, you know, I, I am currently in a, a leadership scholarship program. And and one of the things that that can can irk me the wrong way a little bit in that program and, and what I think really resonated with one of the things you said is um, there's a tendency to kind of quantify or, or, or to qualify leadership as this kind of born quality, it's something that you just have or you don't. And I think the point that you raised about it being kind of a trained it's it's, it's, an, it's something that you emulate over seeing really skilled people over the course of your life and over a long period of time and it's not necessarily something that you just have or you don't and i was wondering if you could kind of maybe go on to that point a little bit more and i would I would like to hear what do you feel of yeah, yeah let, let me just quote uh, my
1: the, the really uh, person i already mentioned warren bennis but uh warren bennis said that the the greatest the most dangerous leadership myth of all is that leaders are born, you know yeah. that somehow this is a natural gift, and uh, that there 's a genetic uh, factor to leadership Yeah. and what Bennis went on to say uh, is that that it 's nonsense, and that in fact the opposite truth leaders are made rather than born and yeah. so he also said leadership cannot be taught, however it can 't be learned meaning it is really. A, just like I'm trying to learn to play that piano, being a more effective leader, the most effective leaders are those that are constantly growing and developing, reserving the right to get smarter, reserving the right to get better. Yeah. Uh, and it is a, it is a disciplined practice and uh, it requires, there's elements of that practice, feedback from other people, uh, you know. Curiosity would be a good thing to have, you know, if you want to be, you know, and, uh, uh, the ability to, uh, seek out opportunities to learn, to be curious about people who are different from you, Yeah, but it's, it's a practice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and do you feel like you've kind of come to the end of your story? Do you have more you'd like to go on to before uh, before we move on? Well, uh, <laughs> I,
1: yeah, let's see. What else would I, I, I say? I went from the Center for Creative Leadership. I, I was only there for three years. And uh, wow. and then I uh, was also just at the crossroads. Uh, I was pulled into the orbit of a of a person I'm deeply indebted to, a guy named uh, a friend named Jim Bolton who was probably the first person to create a consulting company that really uh, was uh, linking uh, executive and leadership development to business strategy. And so right. that is a key component of organizational success, meaning yeah. In other words, successful organizations are those that are developing, and this is so basic
0: now. Yeah, no, I, I find that so fascinating. Revolutionary at the time. Yeah, no, because yeah. now it's it's almost. I feel like people almost think about it the reverse way. Like it, leadership is the foundation, at least in, in my sphere. <laughs> That's what I've always heard. So it's it's interesting to yeah. hear that that wasn't always the, the thought process that people. It was not always the case. You mm-hmm. know exactly.
1: We used to think of the uh, yeah human resources and executive leadership probably They didn't even exist. And then they were kind of a nice to have rather than yeah. really an imperative, you know, and, and the key to success.
0: Yeah. Well, I would love to 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 play a little game with you now where sure. you pick a number between one and 20. So 11. What's 11? 11. Let's see. Do you have a purpose in life is number 11. Oh, interesting.
1: So, uh, you know, I, I think your dad knows that my friend Richard Lighter, who's probably written more about purpose than anybody that I can think of he's been writing about purpose since the early seventies and he's Hmm. written six or seven books, but Richard, because I've worked with him so many times, one of the ways that he works for purpose is he, because people go, wow, you're hit with this question. What's your, you're supposed to have one. What is it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he has a deck of cards and I should give you the deck of cards, uh, you know, give you those cards. But, you you sort through the cards, and each one is kind of a personal tagline. Right. And uh, I've done this many, many times, and it's uncanny. You sort them through the ones that seem like you, the ones that seem different, the ones you have. But the card that always comes up, the tagline that relative to my personal purpose is unleashing the spirit. That's my, that's the, 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 uh, the, um. Uh, tagline for my purpose and I think the way I express that purpose is working with individual teams yeah. and my purpose was translated I used to say I would inflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted mm-hmm. which is the old <laughs> Parsons pledge you know? Yeah. Uh, you know and that's how you unleash the spirit you know if people are too comfortable you prick them and you inflict them and you, you bring them to an edge and if they're suffering, you comfort them and support them so that they'll be um, empowered and enabled to live to fight another day and come back. So that's, that's the way I've my tagline, and that's how I express my purpose working with people.
0: No, that, that that really resonates with me as well, because I've always found that, especially kind of apropos right now, because I found myself in a situation where because of the pandemic and because of my current state and university, I've hit this phase where it is kind of um, a little bit lethargic and there's not a lot going on. Um, and, and you don't feel that that push out of your comfort zone. And And throughout my entire life, I've been always kind of chasing that edge of, of, of being outside your comfort zone, being somewhere that you you don't feel uh, totally in your own skin or totally I've done that. You know, that was a big thing in high school, going to, going to Shanghai and, you know, um, pushing that boundary and and pushing what I feel comfortable doing. Um, And every time I've ever done that, I found, I felt completely invigorated. I felt like, I'm learning that I'm not only learning in in a raw capacity of like I'm I'm learning new information, whether it be in school, but you just learn about people, you interact with people and and it teaches you a lot about yourself and your values. And I'm really excited now because I feel like being kind of at the end of my time at university. And I feel like my time at university has run its course. I feel like now there's this opportunity to once again, go out there and and kind of push that comfort zone. And I'm really excited for that. And I guess kind of leading off of that, I think you've been in a really interesting phase of your life now where, um, I don't know if I'd call you retired, because I think you hesitate to say that yourself, but you're transitioning into this new phase. And how do you find that, pushing that comfort zone in that new space? Cause you have, you're not in your, your traditional career. How have you continued or managed to, to push that comfort zone? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, you're, uh, you, you know a little bit about further on as a project, don't you? you know, yeah. Cause your dad, Paul participated in it. Um, so to me, the reason I hesitate to use the word retire, even though I'm, I'm not traveling and I'm not, you know, earning, uh, uh money everything i do i call it uh is for intrinsic reasons you know yeah. uh i'd like to think that's the way i pretty much always was anyway <laughs> uh, yeah. and the pandemic fed this but all of a sudden all of my life i've been around incredibly fascinating high performing executives i've been side by side with some of the, the most fantastic educators and teachers. uh, And, and that's been my community. And suddenly, that community, both due to the pandemic, and I also, uh, you know, I went from being a uh, global services, they picked me up you know, in Frankfurt with the,
0: yeah.
1: know, the, the, the personal escort into a, yeah, yeah. a Mercedes Benz. I wouldn't even go through the, you know, <laughs> now I'm mud class, you know, yeah. now, I'm, <laughs> now they throw peanuts at me, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, but that world was suddenly gone and I missed the people tremendously. Yeah. And I miss the people, not just on a social level, but because we all made each other better. We challenged each other. We uh, we intellectually challenged each other. We we were a strong community. So they're all in the same boat. So we created further on is like I call it twelve questions that won't go away. You know things like facing death and uh, and making amends and uh, what what are your unique gifts and talents? Yeah. And so we've got uh, twelve topics, and you know we've now. I've done two circles. Your dad was in one of them, uh, but we've got circles going all around the world. So the, the the essence of what I always did in leadership development is embedded in this process. That's why I say you don't really retire. You just the form and the the means by which you explore the questions you're interested just change and evolve. You know.
0: Right. And, you know, that that brings a really interesting point. And this might be me projecting myself onto you a little bit, but I've been really fortunate as well to be in a lot of those similar groups where, at least with people my own age, I've been surrounded by these really impressive, really uh, (laughs) phenomenal leaders, um, despite their age. And one of the things that I've always struggled with in those groups has been um, kind of this feeling of being an imposter. And I was kind of wondering if you had ever felt that yourself and, and how, did, how did you deal with those feelings? If, if you did have, them? well,
1: I think the imposter complex is one of the most, by the way, it's a universal phenomenon in psychology, yeah. as you, as you know, if we all feel to some extent that we are imposters um, the way I think that the best way to deal with the imposter complex is, or the imp- that that feeling, is to not to pretend to know things that you don't know. Yeah. You know, that humility and to be... In other words, uh, I've never written a book about the seven things you need to do to become a successful leader. You know, to me, I give you questions. And it's yeah. the same questions that I'm exploring. And the answers that I have to those questions might not be the answers that you have to the questions. Mm-hmm. Your answers are yours, and they're But it's in that dialectic that, uh, you know, so I don't feel like an imposter when I say, I don't know every, you know, I'm I I reserve the right to get smarter. I reserve the right to grow and develop. I reserve the right to get better. I reserve the right to become more ethical. I reserve the right to become kinder. Honestly, there were consultants and speakers that I fled from because they would stand up with the answers, I would see them in their you know, I'd see the disconnect between what they say and how they live. And the hypocrisy was such that you can you know, it's 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 disheartening. Yeah. So I I just tried to never be that kind of teacher.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's that's phenomenal advice. <laughs> I think I, I always try and maintain that attitude too of you know, keeping an open mind and, and not trying to say you know something, you don't. it just never pans out well if you try and do that. It, it,
1: to me, it's a,
0: it's it's what we pursue,
1: you know, to it's 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 the questions that we pursue. Yeah. That are that are most engaging. Yeah. Now, I do have some positions on leadership, which I will I will, you know, some some that some. some I'm not, I'm not a total wuss. I, <laughs> that I feel pretty strongly about
0: what are your, what are your, I, I guess I'll, I'll limit you cause I know you could go on for a lot of time. What are your three, if you had to pick three hard lines on, on leadership, three things that you think are, are kind of immutable. Um, what, what would you say yeah, those are? I don't
1: know. I don't know that I would number So I'm not going to put a epistemology of Sure. Of, I'm just going to say that, uh, You know, for me, uh, the way I've thought about uh, leadership is that it's it's and this comes from maybe the spirit of my mother. Leadership is what moves the human spirit forward. forward. You know, so it's it's almost, you know, your question about ethical leadership, I almost say leadership doesn't have ethical as it's built into the mix. It's a moral and ethical imperative to serve the human spirit. And if you're in a position, meaning you have the position where you have followers, you're not really necessarily a leader. You just have a leadership position. But the leader is the one that really moves the human spirit, that gets people to want to do something that, that you and they are convinced needs to be done. And that the challenge of leadership is to be worthy of people's deepest desires. And you listed them in the if you go back in this interview, you'll list the things that you had a longing for. You wanted discovery, you wanted challenge, you wanted yeah. your talents and your efficacy to be used. Yeah. You wanted to serve others. You wanted to these are things that are, you know, that are that are carried inside you. And for someone to be your leader, they need to be in service to you. Yeah. Those things. Yeah. Those deep desires for adventure, for learning, for meaning, for belonging, right. for for contributing, and that's what leadership. So, if you ethical leadership is,
0: you know, right. it's about honoring that deep place of spirit. Uh, what i'm hearing from you is kind of this crystallized form of leadership is it, it is in essence a service role it's something where you are an enabler for others you enable them to achieve what they want to achieve and you give them the opportunity to to, to do so
1: a- absolutely and you know we you know there oh uh you know one of the early books on leadership was called servant leadership you know and yeah. it really came from a Fundamental position of it, you know, the leader is here to serve. And of course, that's embedded in many of our religious traditions as well.
0: Yeah. You know, I find that really interesting just because, as you mentioned it, I've heard this a lot. And, and, and I'm of the same opinion for you, but I feel like there's this tendency to kind of um, qualify leadership a lot by putting like an adjective in front of it and saying, you know, servant leadership, uh, ethical leadership. And, and, and there's these strong trends towards, at least I would say nowadays, especially, and I I think I'm guilty of it as well, is to to try and um, push these specific types of leadership. But I I think you're right in that it's not, I guess my question then is, why do you think we need these taglines for leadership? Why would you, do you have any opinion on why we need to say ethical leadership? Why do we need to say servant leadership when that seems to be the inherent trait of leadership? What is the disconnect between people Seeing leadership and not seeing that servant or that ethical side to it.
1: Well, I suppose that's how you know, that's the ideology. That's why it's been additive, you know, that somehow there's a element of people with leadership and sense of moral you know, a sense of yeah. moral imperatives missing, you know. Uh so you add it in the title. Um but I, I would prefer that you, write you, if you're going to write about it or talk about it, you, that you do it in the body of your work rather than in the title.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand some truth about it. Maybe I need to rethink my title, Ethical Leadership.
1: Yeah, well, or leadership that, that you know, elicits or promotes or, you know, uh, creates, yeah. you know, I think it's a result of leadership, you know, should certainly be, you know, uh uh, should come from a moral place yeah
0: well would you like to pick another number and try and go through i think we have time i i, I don't know how much time do you have for this because i don't want to uh, capitalize to have
1: i've got as long as you as it's still being productive it's it's fun for me and i set aside the
0: afternoon so great let's let's uh why don't you pick another number then <laughs> uh seven seven let's see seven uh why do you care about ethical leadership? I think you've answered this a little bit, but uh well, you know, I as I
1: say to me I don't use the phrase ethical leadership if right. but, but Sabina is uh part of Fred leadership and yeah. one of the missions of Fred is to promote ethical leaders, okay? So that's, you know, uh uh I suppose that's how we we got there. And that like you say, was born of, that was born of a challenge. I think our, so many of our institutions are failing, our school systems are failing, our social net is failing, Mm -hmm. our, you know, our political system is is failing. And I became a big believer in the power of particularly large multinationals to actually influence uh, all of those institutions for the better. And, I I just felt like that was a potential source of leverage that we had not really used. And and the examples of corporations failing were sadly also all around me. So the financial crisis, you know, and it gets really dangerous to talk about corporate ethics. I mean, you know, Johnson & Johnson, which has always been one of my great examples of Ethical leadership. I mean, they were famous for the Tylenol case, which I know Paul and his buddy. You know about that there in Chicago. Johnson and Johnson has a credo, which is basically their value statement, and they put themselves on trial every year. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's just a story uh, that 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 I James Burke was the the famous CEO. I mean, I've told the yeah. story so many times. And yet this year, I just learned about Johnson & Johnson's role in the opioid crisis. And therefore, the grace of God, go I. I mean, it, we can all, you know, suddenly find ourselves on the wrong side. And so yeah. it's it's you don't want to become too more, you know, too uh, much of a uh, too self-righteous. So it's very difficult. But I, I do think that the corporate world, uh, we need to hold to a higher standard, you know, yeah so that's, no uh, whether we should call it ethics or morality i don't i i don't
0: know no i think I think there's absolute truth to that, yeah that the holding by holding corporations to a higher standard, especially i think you achieved it in great success and 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 I think there's real value in you know top down change that if you can change the the ethical nature of the the leaders then there's a good chance for huge institutional change but I do know also just because of my own experience with my dad that you know huge institutional change is is really difficult even even in a small family owned business it's it's hard to completely change the culture of an organization and do you i guess how would you say where does that start with with leadership how do you how do you Start that process. Is it just an well, introspective? I to
1: want to change everything? You know. Yeah, <laughs> I have the tendency. You're passionate about the magic wand. I used to want to get the magic wand, and you know, I was just gonna. And and where I come down to is much more humble. I mean, and that is just change anything, you know, yeah. for the better. And that might be helping a friend. That's helping a niece or a nephew. It's participating, and you know, in other words, you just get started. You know, yeah. and you do the best you can, and there isn't a magic wand. And I do think that you know, there's a zeitgeist and that changes, and spirit moves around. And I, I do believe, and maybe the pandemic is it. There'll be a, a, a reckoning, and out of this crisis, there's opportunities for new ways of living and communicating and being. And I, I just hold out hope you know, that we'll get there. But uh, it's, it is a long haul. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's never
0: done, but don't ever give up. Right. Then would you have any advice for someone who maybe isn't in a position of like high leadership, maybe someone who's just new to leadership or or is looking to kind of grow themselves as to like maybe what's the first step in kind of instituting that, that, that small change? Is it just take it, take a step,
1: you know? Well, I think it is always, no matter whether you're the leader or the follower, it's starting with yourself. It's yeah. the one th- if, if you want to change other things, you know, the, what's the one thing that you can do and that's the change, you, need, yeah. you know? And so to me, it always starts with self. It always starts with, uh, you know, the kind of inventory that uh, that you, a self inventory that you can do. Be, be kind, never stop learning, uh, reserve the right always to be a better team member, to be a better friend, to be a better follower, if you're a follower, to be a better leader when you're leading, you know, but it's a discipline. You can't just yeah. say it, you know. It, and so I think being reflective, finding time, again, one of the gifts of the pandemic, is that people didn't ever have time to be reflective. We've had yeah. time to be reflective, and hopefully, uh, everybody's coming out of the just use this time, just as you have. You've kind of got this built-up need to uh, for adventure and learning and challenge. So, this has been useful to you. Yeah. In other words, it's it's been tough, but you use that to become even. More clear, more committed, and just you know, get your plan ready. You know, yeah. And, uh, and and you doesn't have to wait till it's over. You're already working it. You know, you you've got uh, uh, the the fellowship, and you you've got your work. Your plan.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you kind of mentioned that personal change because in the previous interview that I did with, uh, it was a friend of my mother's, her name is Rama, and she's uh, a meditative, she's a meditation guru in Chicago. And that was, we were talking about leadership for a long time. And that was a big thing that came up was kind of that meditative quality of leadership. And I'm kind of hearing that echoed a bit in what you're saying in personal change, that it's this small daily commitment to to being self-aware and, and to to changing yourself. And do you think have you had experience with meditation and leadership? Do you have any any takes on that? Or you mean in terms of practice as
1: m- Yeah. I mean, I started, I started, I was, man, I was transcendental meditation in the (laughs) 19th (laughs) century.
0: So this is a long-term thing. You're very much in, in, in,
1: you know, I, I even believe I, I kind of incorporated aspects of meditation into other aspects of my life. So for example, every morning I, you know, I start out, I get up at, I, I'm an early riser. My wife isn't. So I'm not saying that everybody needs to be an early riser, but I've always liked the morning. And, uh, and I get up early and, uh, I, I have a cup of coffee and I kind of do my stretching and I do my, I, I do some meditation, but then I go outside and I strap my skins on my skis by headlamp and I climb 2000 feet. And during that climb, it's a meditative experience it's uh, you know people talk about uh, mindfulness, you know you're listening to the crunch of the snow and you're paying attention to your uh to your body temperature and your core yeah. temperature and your breathing and you know it's just a it's a very and part of that that here's the connection to growing and develop- it's like Sisyphus Sisyphus pushed that stone every day up there, yeah hill, you know yeah. But every day that stone rolled back down. And I think it's so it's a beautiful for me. It's it is that metaphor. I I I've never reached the summit where I'm going to stand. I always come back down and I yeah. just try to keep keep rolling that hill. That Rock up
0: that hill each day i I find that interesting because i i 'd like to talk to you a little bit about that because i I have a similar routine where I get up in the morning and I always walk to my classes I make sure i always, I, I like walking a lot I like taking that time in the morning. however, it sounds like you're really um, interested in when you you do that daily climb when you do that daily climb up the mountain you um, are very present in the moment you don 't do you not distract yourself you don 't listen to music or anything like that. Mm-hmm. No. I find that interesting because I, I always... Occasionally I'll, go, hmm. occasionally, I'll go with a friend. Yeah.
1: Because I, I find it's a wonderful way to to connect. And, you know, you're not always talking, but, you know, I, I kind of... So sometimes I'm side by side with others. But for the most part, it's a reflective experience. And it always has been, whether it's been climbing a mountain or running or whatever. It's been a reflective experience. And I also kind of have some practices at the end of the day you know, where I ask myself a series of questions. I mean, there's a wonderful one of your questions was about one of my favorite books that Marshall Goldsmith wrote was Mojo. And he's got a series of questions
0: in that book that you just ask yourself at the end each day. I wrote that down. <laughs> so I sent it to you as well. Um, yeah, I find that interesting and I'm going to, I think I'll start incorporating that into my own schedule as well. Cause I find myself oftentimes, you know, I, I like my walks and stuff, but I, I tend to, um, some days I'll just drown it out with listening to music or with listening to a podcast or something like that. Well, cut and yourself
1: some slack. <laughs> you know, I mean,
0: I think that's you don't want it. Yeah, that's fine too. If you enjoy
1: it, that's that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. So,
0: yeah. Well, thank you for
1: that reaffirmation. <laughs> I will continue to do. That. No, I, think, I, think, I think you've got to be kind to yourself. You know, we always talk about be kind, be kind, to kind, but it all starts with being kind as well to yourself. And. Uh, right. You know, we all need a, a, a day where we, whatever, we indulge uh, a path. And it, by the way, music is, music should be part of the spirit. Yeah. You know, great theater is part of the spirit. Great literature is part of the spirit. Um, Absolutely. And so uh, rock music part of the spirit. Yeah, all the way. <laughs> They're all sources of of what i'll call the the great life force you know yeah and that's why i've always believed that arts should be part of leadership film and that was one of the things we built into the Fred form was dance and you know mm-hmm. and theater and music and poetry Right. Um, you asked the question uh, what books should people read and i thought about it a little bit and i thought well one that I read at 16 and I read frequently is Man Search for, for Me by Viktor Frankl. I think everybody mm. sh- should read that. But not enough people, at least in the business world, read fiction. Because it, fiction allows you to put yourself in the shoes of another person. And, uh, and again, that's an essential leadership quality is, is not seeing the world from your own eyes and your own feet. But the capacity to see it from the eyes of others, your customers, your team members, your co-workers, your peers. And so that capacity, how do you, how do you develop that? Probably fiction. And theater are as good as anything.
0: Well, that's good. I'm well on the path to leadership. Then I, I spend way too much of my
1: days reading fiction. That's great. <laughs> and I I know the kind of you like sci. You as at least you did. You, you have a real love for science fiction. As
0: well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I still yeah. read but almost every day. But
1: that's that's the that's expanding your imagination, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it, your sense of what could be, or your sense of what might be, or what has been. I mean. That's, those are agile muscles that, you know, you, that, that are important to, to, to develop. So, yeah.
0: No, it's fascinating when you, uh, uh, this is just because I read a lot of science fiction, and especially I'm a huge fan of kind of like cyberpunk literature and, and that kind of stuff. It's really fascinating to see these kind of mindscapes that that come up of, of oftentimes dystopian futures, because I think you get to see a lot of those qualities and those trends that are going on nowadays. And it's especially fun to see something that was written, what got 40, 50, even 60 years ago, <laughs> that that those trends are still spot on, um, and, and it's 1984, crazy. 1984, George Orwell. I mean, right. come on! I mean,
1: it, he warned us.
0: Yeah. No, and, and it's funny because I think sometimes too. Uh, when you see certain things that pop up, like even if you look at what is it, Fahrenheit four fifty one, like the idea of the TV, I, I know, like he he even talked about how that wasn't his intention. Like later on, he retro retroactively said it wasn't even his intention to make commentary about people being so sucked into the TV and that kind of thing. But it, it's funny how even sometimes unintentionally, those authors will hit on like a core
1: well it, exactly aspect, that. yeah. I mean,
0: po- poetry.
1: Or art, let's take art. Hmm. Artist doesn't want to necessarily tell, you know, he can't translate completely what it's supposed to mean or, you know, and it's the beauty of art is that we are all, it has meaning that unfolds. And even to the progenitor of of a piece of music, it might have new meaning 20 years later.
0: No. Yeah. Yeah, that was something one of my high school English teachers used to always say to me was, um, you know, once once it's out of the artist's hands, once that piece is put out in the world, it's it, it kind of takes on its own life and it's no longer um, It's meant to. It's yeah. Meant to. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's an offering. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't, I, I, that's about all I have for today, yeah. but I don't know if you, if you, fun. yeah, thank you so fun. much again, Rocky, for coming on and, and talking so eloquently for so long <laughs> about, um, leadership really and, and really fun. I, yeah. I, these are great questions.
1: And that I means yeah. to me, I saw this as an opportunity for personal growth, you know, yeah. down and, and wrestle with the questions again. So thank you, Gus. It's been really great.
0: No problem.
1: You've been listening to the Inspiring Brave Leaders podcast by Magnolia Tree. This is Daliana Eliesch, the editor of the podcast. Feel free to reach us or visit our website for more bursts of inspiration around leadership. You can find a link for our website and our social media platforms in our bio. Thank you for tuning in.